Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the CHGO Bulls podcast, HQ edition on Friday. I am your host, Will Gottlieb. I am here, as always, with my friend at MK Hoops, Mark K. And today, it feels a little weird, I have to tell you, because I don't think I've ever been a host of the show with Matt Peck also on it, but we have at Bulls underscore Peck on Twitter. Matt Peck, back from the COVID depths. It's good to have you here, Matt. How, how are you feeling? Are you back to back to 100%? Hey guys, um, I uh, I am wonderful. Thank you. Uh, first thing I wanted to say is I appreciate all y'all uh, for holding things down for me this week while I was sick and quarantined. COVID finally got me. My three and a half year streak of never getting COVID came to an, a bitter, uh, resentful end. Uh, I was very upset about that, but uh, got got some good rest this week, and uh, I've been climbing off the walls <laughs> like i realized how much i miss doing the show with you guys every day because i had not you guys to bother by just starting arguments and debates about frilly stupid pointless shit and so i was just texting my friends and family and like trying to start debates and arguments with them just via texting because i didn't have this outlet so i was just driving my friends and family crazy because i couldn't drive you guys crazy and i missed you guys so much and uh, I am happy that I'm on the mend. Appreciate y'all for holding it down. And I cannot wait to be at Bulls Fest with our fellow Bulls fans tomorrow. COVID for I was just free. About to say, Test today. We are negative, baby. Let's go. Negative, baby. I was just going to say, we are very happy that you are healthy, obviously, in general, but especially in time for tomorrow. If you haven't heard us hyping this up all week, uh, CHGO Bulls Pod is going to be at Bulls Fest tomorrow. We are going to be interviewing Mark Eversley, GM of the Chicago Bulls. We're going to be interviewing... Javon Carter, we're going to be hanging out. We're going to have some stickers and hats and things to give away. Come hang, come say hi. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So we're very much looking forward to seeing you all there. But unfortunately, we will not be hanging out with Mark because he's so far away. But Mark, how, how's it what going? Mean, I'm there? going. I was going to say, you're going? Going? you should be at you're, the you're airport the by now, right? <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I've got a PJ waiting for me to pick me up straight after this session. What are you talking about? Great. Be there. Right. The more you know. Money well um, spent. Well, today, I don't know. I, I feel like I've kind of seen on Twitter over the last week or so, like people kind of trashing the Bulls offseason. And I wanted to spend some time talking about that today because, frankly, there's not much else to talk about. But also, I think it is an interesting question. I think we all kind of feel the same way about the general direction of the team. But is that the same as having a bad offseason, given what their goals and direction was? Um so maybe we can just start there. What did you guys think of, obviously I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, we all agree that probably should start to move some pieces around and change some things for the long-term health of the organization. But given that they are trying to be competitive, what did you think of the off-season moves in general? We've had a couple months now to digest. This is one of those things where both people are right but both people think the other one is wrong and therefore <laughs> they both butt heads up against each other because of that reason. Like, I don't think you're wrong to say that the Bulls had a good offseason based on what their goals were, but then I also don't think people are wrong for saying this offseason was dumb. Why are we still doing this thing? Like, it, 
if you're going to do the dumb thing, do the dumb thing as well as you possibly can do. Like that's my always the thing that I like to say. So whilst I don't necessarily agree with what the, you know, the continuity plan and those sorts of things, assuming for whatever reason you're you're wedding yourself to that, then I think the offseason they had is good. But I think what you were noting on Twitter the other day, uh, William, was the fact that people just can't separate the idea between what happened in the offseason versus the strategic goals of the team or that they can't separate that, or maybe they shouldn't separate that. I, I guess, and like, like I said, I, I don't think either party is wrong in that sense because they can be connected if you want them to be connected or they can be disconnected depending on your perspective. So it is all a matter of perspective. I don't think anyone's wrong, but because we're all stubborn idiots, we all yell about it, I guess. Matthew? Yeah, I'm pretty much in line with what Mark just laid out. Another way to look at it is people saying, you know, did, did AK do well? this offseason with the moves he made or or did he not and the the way i've kind of framed it is you have to give credit to ak and eversley for the moves they made to possibly legitimately improve the roster next season from the corner that they were boxed into but they boxed themselves into said corner so the credit only goes so far if you are someone who believed that what they should have done this offseason or more realistically and, and more ideally at the trade deadline this past season was to shake up this roster and go a different direction, then you're still probably not very happy right now as we are a month and change away from training camp starting up again for a brand new season. I think with the tools they had at their disposal, the pieces they brought in were pretty admirable pieces uh, that they got on good deals. Like it's it's not as good as the oh my god Alex Caruso like the Bulls are robbing him blind for that contract it's not that level of a good contract but they're they're two key acquisitions in free agency Javon Carter and Torrey Craig both appear to be guys who could contribute on v- fairly team friendly deals if that's all they could do I think they did a good job with what all they could do um, if by and large the plan is still, and I, you know, I saw in between long naps this past week that they officially brought Terry Taylor back, they're under the they're under the tax line still. Yes, with the addition of Terry Taylor on a veteran minimum. Technically uh, over at the moment. Technically, they're into the tax, but they yeah. will easily be able to get back below it, and I fully expect them to do so. Yeah, right. So if that's as Mark phrased it, if you're going to do the dumb plan then do the dumb plan as best you can. And I think that that's what they've done. Yeah. We, we kind of talked about it the other day. Like I can't remember what exactly the payout is going to be for teams that don't go into the tax. Like every year, the teams who do go into the tax have to pay basically that sum of money back to the rest of the teams in the league. And so, you know, last year, I think the Reinsdorf's got a check for 10 million bucks because, you know, the Warriors and the Clippers had hundreds of millions of dollars paid in luxury tax fees. And, so for the Bulls to go even like a million dollars into the tax, I think they're a million five right now. That would cost them not only the million and a half dollars, not only the penalty that you get for doing that, but also the $10 million check that won't be coming their way. So I agree. Like the Bulls are, I, I mean, just there's no way the Bulls are going to the tax. They're certainly not doing it for Terry Taylor. And maybe you could convince me that in some reality where they're the first seed at the all-star break and there's a week to go before you know, the trade deadline and I don't know, like Joel Embiid is injured and Giannis is coming back from an injury and they're not sure he's going to be in the playoffs. And like the East is actually truly wide open and they have an opportunity to go sign a guy for 10 million bucks that could really put them over the top. Like uh, barring that sort of just stars aligning situation. I I really just don't see it. Um, Go ahead, Mark. No, I was just going to say, um, Tory Craig, Javon Carter, really, really good signings, but that's only two guys. So from that perspective, you've really only added two guys. So even if you want to do the cold continuity thing, I don't. I, I think there's still a reason or a contention to say that that wasn't enough to just bring in two good role guys, two guys that were good, helpful players in their previous situations, sixth, seventh, eighth guys in those situations who might be be asked to be something more that they are in Chicago. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in terms of the shooting profile later. But 
the the scope here for these signings maybe not necessarily I guess panning out in the same way that they will in Chicago as they would have been in other in other spots because potentially we're asking them to do too much than what they were doing next to Giannis or next to Devin Booker or whatever the situation may be. But my further point is I really like the top 10 of this roster and that's where I can give credit to AK. Um, I'm reluctant to give Eversley and AK too much credit because I feel like the off season they had this season is the one they should have had last season. So I'm not going to go and bend over backwards to say, hey, good job guys when I think you're 12 months late on it. But I do like their 10-man rotation, their top 10. But thereafter, I'm really concerned about the roster. And maybe that sounds kind of ridiculous because we're talking about guys 11 through 15. But to me, it really that matters. matters. For a team like, yeah, it, yeah it, it matters heaps, specifically for this team where your top three or four guys aren't your Giannis's or your Lukas or your Embiid's, whomever it be, a Jokic. You don't have that top five guy, that top 10 guy. What you do have is a suite of really good players. So what you need if you're that type of team, particularly in the regular season where positioning really matters for a team like the Bulls who are trying to get into the playoffs and potentially get into a second round, let's say, depth really matters for a team that has you know, a very thin margin for error. So I would be so much more comfortable with this team if guys 11, 12 on this roster, they don't have to be world beaters, but I don't necessarily want to be relying on Dale and Terry or Terry Taylor, or Kyle Jones if he stays around, or Julian Phillips. Like that, it's a lot of risk on the back end of this rotation. So with that in mind, also with the fact that the Bulls still have $6 million remaining on their mid-level exception, they still have uh, the biannual exception. They obviously got granted the Lonzo defense, uh, disabled player exception. They have all these available tools to them, which they haven't used just yet. We're sitting here positing the fact that they probably won't use those things because we don't think this team is going to go into the tax. So I think despite the the Craig and Javon Carter signings, the fact that you've got all these exceptions and you're not prepared to use them at the same time when literally the five last guys on your on your bench aren't necessarily guys we can feel confident in, I think that is a reason to still be somewhat critical of this offseason. Can, can you just clarify your point to me, Mark? I'm, I'm a little confused because you're talking about the Bulls being a playoff team and you say you like their top 10, but you're worried about 11 through 15 and you're talking about them being a playoff team. Most frequently, coaches' answers in the playoffs is to shrink their rotation, not expand it. So if you like yeah. the top 10 and you're talking about playoff rotations that are seven, maybe eight guys deep, I'm, I'm, I'm a little unclear on what you're trying to say there. Well, the no, Bulls got to get there. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, again, that, that, yeah, that but... would be my point. So I definitely don't think they're a playoff team at this stage. I think they're a playing team. But if they want to be a playoff team, I think depth matters. But specifically in terms of positioning for playoffs as well, like the difference between being a seventh seed and a fourth seed, as an example, may be down to a team like the Bulls who have you know depth and rotation, whereby if they sustain an injury, because they have that thin margin of error up top, that if they had a you know more reasonable uh, you know, deep bench, they, they'd have a greater ability to sustain that. And potentially that wouldn't derail a season similarly to it as it did in 2021 or even last season. So that, that's kind of what I'm getting at, whereby I think depth really matters specifically for this team, maybe more so than like a Denver Nuggets team as an example. So that could be the difference between finishing seventh or finishing fourth or fifth. And if you're fourth or fifth, you've got a far greater chance of getting into the second round. Obviously, you've got a far greater chance of getting into the playoffs because you're in the playoffs at that stage. You're not in the plane. But you've got a far greater chance of getting into the second round because rather than being in a two versus seven or one versus eight matchup, you're in a four versus five where maybe you've got a you know a fighting chance similarly to like, like what the Knicks did. The Knicks are the, to me the Knicks are the example for the Bulls, which is painful to say in a lot of different ways. But like the the Knicks had a really good season last season. They won like what 47, 48 games. That was just a team full of hard nosed two way guys that played both sides. That had 11, 12 capable guys that you could count in the rotation. I, th- I think the Bulls have you know nine or ten guys who I trust. But thereafter, that's where I start to ask the questions, and I think. Last season, if the Knicks only had you know an eight or nine man rotation in the regular season, I don't think they finished fifth in in the East, and then that compromises their their positioning in the playoffs. So, yeah, the the rotation short in the in the playoffs and those sorts of things, but I think for the regular season, that's when you need that depth, particularly for this team. 
So I think the back end of the rotation is is still a question mark. Obviously, you've got like those non-guaranteed deals with Terry Taylor and with Carly Jones uh, or partial guarantees after the start of the season. So they can sort of increase their wiggle room there on the back end. But I think you can't really talk about like the amount of space that they have there until you go over some of the bigger signings and specifically the ones that happened this past off season. So just to run through those again, you get Vooch three years, 60 million. You get Kobe at three for 36 with $4 million of likely incentives that will bring it up to basically a three for 40. You get Javon Carter at three for 20. Uh, you sign Julian Phillips to, I think it's like four years, 8 million. Uh, Tory Craig, two years at the minimum. Ayodesumu, three years, 21 million. So 7 million annually. And then you just bring in Terry Taylor. So I think one of the things that I've been seeing around the internet is like the Bulls got a bunch of good contracts. Like Vooch in a vacuum is a good contract. Uh, Kobe at that number is a good value deal. IO for 7 million, like, yeah, it's maybe a little bit more than they needed to spend, but it's like good to have those numbers on your books. Um, whether that's because it's just like generally good practice to have good players on value deals and or because you can then trade them. Uh, but to me, it's like, first of all, they're they're not tradable contracts if nobody's willing to take them. They're certainly not tradable contracts if the Bulls aren't willing to trade these guys because their ambitions are just to make the play-in tournament. Um, and then also, I think you have questions about like, you know, what does tradable mean? Like, do you have to attach an asset to make it tradable? Is it a salary dump? Uh, are guys, you know, actively seeking out uh, Io Desumu for $7 million. I think there's a lot of questions there. I, I do think in general, they got these guys at numbers that are like palatable, but I think that's where to like this idea of separating the goal from the deal becomes really intertwined is like, what are they actually going to do with these contracts? And like, to me, I just, I don't know that they're ever actually, actually going to pull the ripcord as they say. Um, do you think Matt, that that like, how big of a role do you think that that plays when you're talking about the value of these deals? I think you hit the nail on the head with the the second of those two points. Not to say that I disagree with the first one, which is that like, yeah, you, you got to find a team out there who wants to bring in those guys on those quote unquote team friendly deals. And maybe they're not as team friendly to other teams around the league as the Bulls see them to be for themselves. But the second thing you said, which is I think why Bulls fans are frustrated who felt like we reached the ceiling of this particular group of players already with a first round exit a year ago, is that the Bulls themselves probably aren't going to convince themselves that what they want to do is trade away these players. They brought back Vooch on a multi-year deal. They brought back Kobe on a multi-year deal. They brought back Iowa on a multi-year deal. And they have repeatedly hit the fans over the head with the word continuity. So I don't I at, at this point in time I have given up all hope of them recognizing that they need to change directions aggressively with this core and they are going to ride this out to the bitter end until they decide when the bitter end is and I'm honestly starting to get a little afraid of when they decide that bitter end is but I don't think it's any time uh in in the near future so yes I think it's valid to to question how how much is it an added value of being a team-friendly contract for the Bulls themselves to then say, well, you could also include these very tradable contracts in trades if you want to make those big directional swings with the future of your organization if the Bulls aren't willing to face that reality themselves. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. But the way out of this is what Trey XL is suggesting here via Super Chat. So thank you for that, mate. We do appreciate it. He, 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 he's saying that maybe some of us, and I feel like he's speaking to me, and maybe fair enough, maybe people are really underestimating the improvement curve of Kobe and Patrick. And maybe if Kobe and Pat take a leap, those guys can insert themselves into the starting lineup. And you know any decline or regression, natural regression just due to their age or whatever it may be from DeMar and Vooch, maybe that's offset or even... Not, not not just offset, maybe that the fact that that happens, maybe that's just not a not an issue at all because Patton and Kobe take a leap. I certainly hope Trey's right. Nothing would make me happier than to see Kobe and Pat really make, you know, take a leap because that would change 
that would change the trajectory of this team by by quite a quite a bit, at least in my estimations at, at this point. Like I still I still view this team as like a five hundred ish team. You could tell me they're gonna win thirty nine games, you could tell me they're gonna win forty four games. I could believe you depending on what day it is. But I don't know if I feel greater than that. I don't know if I feel worse than that, which is fine, I guess. But like that's kind of how I felt the last two years. But if Kobe makes that leap, if Patrick takes that leap that sort of Trey's alluding to, then you're talking about a team that has real upside to be a 47, 48 win team like the Knicks, like that example that I referenced before. And I don't necessarily think, you know, Jalen Brotson, RJ Barrett and Juliet and Julius Randle is somehow a better three-man combination than Zach, Damar and Vooch because I don't, I don't think it is. I, it, you could even argue that it's worse. But for whatever reason, they've just figured out the pieces around them and, and figured out how to make that the, the role guy roles actually function. We've seen Josh Hart do some things with Team USA. He seems to be a perfect fit. Dante DiVincenzo, they've got a, a whole bunch of young guys that are doing their thing. So if if Kobe and Pat can make that leap, then, then maybe that changes things. But I, I'm in the need to see it before I believe it camp, I guess. But um, nonetheless, I appreciate your super chat, Trey. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the things the the young players developing, uh, I think that's one of the things that when you look at the ways that this group is going to improve or the things that they can do to maybe play above the sum of their parts, because I think at their best last year, they were playing above the sum of their parts. At their worst, they were playing way far below it, um, you know, when they when they had Patrick Beverly and I think, you know, finished that season pretty strong. I think they were playing well i think they were playing to the level that they probably feel they should have been playing all year and i think that's unfortunately going to be the justification for keeping this group together uh but i do think that was sort of above the sum of their parts but in order to get back to that obviously you need to have javon carter and tory play tory craig playing a role um but i think also like kobe and patrick taking a step forward and i think that's where if you're looking at contracts kobe to me has an opportunity to really be the one that makes his deal look like a really solid value. Um, and that obviously can totally change the trajectory of the team. But again, like it's, it's one thing to just have a bunch of like solid deals, but like, if you're not going anywhere with it and you're unwilling to leverage those into future assets to like redirect the team, I just don't know how much that matters. Cause to your point, Matt, like they're just kind of going to run this into the ground and it's going to get to that point one way or another. It's just a matter of how long. But we can spend some more time on that after the break. Uh, first, though, Mark, can you tell our friends about Sunnyside? Well, I believe you're going in a different order here, William, to the rundown. So I wasn't prepared. But nonetheless, because I'm a professional, I did have the ad read up. And I have my ad read up ready for Sunnyside Cabinets. And if you weren't aware, friends, what Sunnyside is... Sunnyside is your home for judgment-free cannabis shopping, a place where all kinds of visitors, no matter who you are, are welcome to explore, discover, and purchase a wide array of high-quality high quality products. Sunnyside William has everything you possibly could need to elevate your summer. It is your one-stop shop for all your cannabis needs, no matter where you are on your cannabis journey, whether you're starting out, whether you're a seasoned professional like Tori Craig or Javon Carter, not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not inferring, I'm not inferring okay. that per it's se, certainly not me. but I'm just inferring that they are veterans of the NBA. <laughs> unlike younger, younger players like a Dale and Terry, for example. <laughs> but on that note, William, who would you say of all the Chicago athletes out there right now, who has really elevated your week? Who has made this week just absolutely perfect for you? It is a front Friday after all. Um, I'm keen to understand, like from your perspective, what's you know what Chicago athlete has just made it just a good week for you, mate? I'm going with Mr. Christopher Morell, who hit a walk-off home run all the way to the Sunnyside brick-and-mortar store in Wrigleyville. <laughs> I don't know who That's that is, right but I'm assuming right it's there. a baseball player. It's a baseball player for the Chicago yeah. Cubs. Walk okay. off three run Real homer good. against the Sox uh, uh, Wednesday night. Don't Do you know what that, that means? means either. Yeah, but, uh, that's that's fine because I don't need to know what it means because you know what? I'm just going to head down to Sunnyside. I don't I don't need to know about anything. <laughs> All I need to know is that when you go to Sunnyside, 
Guess what, friends? If you use promo code CHGO25 at checkout, you get 25% your total order. One use per customer. It's not stackable with other promotions, but whether you're a new customer or a returning customer, it doesn't matter. You can go over to the website, sunnyside.shop, and you can get yourself a really good bargain using that code, CHGO25. So the only caveat must be that you are 21 or over or that you're an Illinois Med card holder. But William, it is now your turn to read about Lewis University. Oh, th- thanks for letting me know, Mark. Because <laughs> Lewis University is made for students just like you, who have full-time jobs, families, and of course, are full-time sports fans. But if you're eager to go back to school to earn a respected degree, check out Lewis University, located just 35 miles southwest of Chicago in Romeoville. It is ranked as one of US News and World Report's top-tier colleges. Lewis partners with numerous employers for tuition discounts and offers evening, online, and blended formats to help you balance work, family, and education. The faculty even bring in real-world experience and instruction into the classroom, which can be immediately relevant to your career, and they offer career support and academic resources for adult students. So if you're looking to complete your bachelor's or master's degree, or just enroll in a certificate program, Lewis has the right program for you. They've got graduate programs in criminal justice and public safety and first responders receive 20% off tuition, data science, computer science, cybersecurity, business analytics, finance, MBA, project management. They also have adult undergraduate courses with accelerated degree completion programs in computer science, business analytics, criminal justice, business programs, and more. So to discover how a degree from Lewis can help you build a better world, learn more at lewisu.edu slash you can do this. That's lewisu.edu slash you can do this. Matt, did you want to say slash just one time? Because I know it's been a while. Slash. Slash. There it is. I was Um, just sitting here thinking how lovely it is to have uh, people reading ads instead of me doing it. I I could have read a chapter of a book in in that little interim, but instead I just had a peacefully empty mind. It was delightful. (laughs) I was just thinking about how much I prefer it when you and Dave read ads. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) go figure. Well, I think everyone prefers when just Big Dave does the ads. We should make 100% of the ads. You know, I offered a few times over the week to... Oh, hey, Lawrence. Welcome to the show. Hi. There's Lawrence. Who specifically, who specifically said, I don't want to be on camera today, so just don't say No, I didn't, I didn't say that. I just said I'm very tired. But I, I, what I was enjoying during the ads was the sponsors and learning about our sponsors. That's what I was enjoying about the ads, not reading books. Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you, Lawrence. Hey, Lawrence. <laughs> I know who our sponsors are, Lawrence, because I read those ads every goddamn day. But for our listeners and viewers, pay attention, because there are some great deals that you may have not known about. All right, so back to uh, back to the offseason signings. Um, Lawrence, can you throw up the super chat from Trey Excel again? Because this is a nice uh, segue into what we want to talk about next, which are the things that need to happen for these offseason signings, or for for these to make it a good offseason. I think number one is the development curve of the young players, as Trey says, and shout out again for the super chat. I think some people really underestimate the improvement curve from Kobe and Patrick. Kobe, Zach, Damar, Patrick, Booch, book it. Um, Certainly for the younger players, and we talked about them and their contracts, but um, I don't know, just like off the cuff for you guys, is there anything that they can really do like tangible differences in their game that would that would help justify some of the the moves that they made this offseason whether it's the you know Kobe signing or just like in general like Patrick making some sort of improvement to his game to where Tory Craig can maybe come off the bench and now you've got like a really solid veteran power forward coming off the bench that you can really rely on as opposed to previous years where you're kind of scrambling and is it Caruso is it Javante can Jerk Jones play there with Drummond like what's kind of going on yeah, well, I made a lot of people angry this week on the internet, which is just another you? week. <laughs> I don't believe that. People got very angry at me for suggesting, merely suggesting that possibly the ball's best per minute player, Alex Caruso, is the obvious option to be starting at power forward, which to me says a lot of different things. But in reflection to the question that you just noted here, William, like it, it's indirect. Well, it relates perfectly to the Patrick Williams conversation because... I shouldn't have to be thinking about Alex Caruso at power forward if 
Patrick Williams was more than what he has been. Similarly, another thing that I pointed out this week, not to be the douche who reads his own tweets, but that's seemingly what I'm going to do. But like, I, I don't understand why we do this thing where we think Pat Williams can't develop unless he gets more on ball reps. When we, as a collective Bulls fans, Bulls, uh, <laughs> Bulls fan base, have just been reveling in the way Kobe White has developed this season, despite him getting less of a, an off- offensive opportunity than what he's had in years past. Like he averages his least points per game this season, less than 10 a game. But we all note that Kobe develops in so many different ways. And I still think there is scope for, com- for Kobe to continue to uh, develop in that way, just as there is for Patrick Williams. So I don't know why we do this thing with Pat whereby he can't develop unless he gets more shots or he can't develop unless he increases his points per game. So to answer your question, is there ways that we can expect Kobe or more specifically Pat to develop this season, even if he's the fourth or fifth guy? And what does that mean for the team? I think there's a million ways that he can develop and, and sort of improve and, and really change the scope of this team, change the scope of the rotation. I mentioned it before that maybe we're going to be in a situation where we're asking too much of Tory Craig and Javon Carter. Like, I don't want to. I kind of don't want to be in a position where I'm relying or hoping that Tory Craig is finishing games for the Bulls because we've seen Tory Craig finish games in other situations, and he's played himself out of those situations as well. Like he's been in the Phoenix Suns rotation, and then he was out of it. He's been in the Milwaukee Bucks rotation, and then was out of it. Now I'm not saying that he'll be out of the Bulls rotation because. They don't really have many other options at power forward. But I, I kind of don't want to be leaning so heavily on a 32-year-old Tory Craig. So I need Pat to make that development that sort of Trey was talking about before. But there's so many ways that Pat can, can develop and round out his, you know, the foundational skills of his game. We were talking about that last week, I believe, Will, or the week before, whatever it was. Time is a blur at this point. But like, no more shot fakes, Will. Uh, no, no more turning down shots. If you want to play the five, if we all talk about how Pat can maybe play five and maybe that's something Billy could do, particularly now that Derek Jones Jr. is gone and there's no third backup center type thing. It's just pretty much Andre Drummond. Like one of, if, if the Bulls want to go small, Pat or Torrey Craig is playing the five. But that only works if Pat gets better on the glass, if Pat gets better at setting screens and, and doing those sorts of things, both on, on you know, in terms of rebounding on, on defense and setting screens on offense. There's nothing stopping him right now from setting screens on offense. Start moving on offense. We've, we've talked about that for years now, like cutting and moving and uh, just being more active, getting on the offensive glass. There's a, there's a ton of different things that Pat could be doing to him improve his game that would, you know, obviously make him a better basketball player, but would just meaningfully change the, the you know, the upside of this team too. So, yeah, I would feel very confident about what the Bulls could do this season. Not that it would lead to a championship or anything like that, but like I said before, could they be a forty-eight win team if if Kobe and Pat take that other leap, which I think they can do, despite playing next to Demar and and Zach and Vooch and Billy. I don't think those guys are holding them back. Um, like I said last week, I think this is a great spot for them to develop, to develop, but it's on them to do so. Yeah, Matt, we we spent about an hour last week talking about this, um, but I'm curious what you think about just like. How much scope does Patrick have to improve on a roster where you do bring in Torrey Craig and you do have Alex Caruso as, I agree, Mark, the the closing power forward? Um, do you think in a world where the Bulls are clearly prioritizing winning over young player development, how much can Patrick really improve his game? Yeah, I, I mean, we were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago with uh, Big Dave, Will, you and I with like the it's the chicken or the egg question with Pat like is he not developing because he's getting not getting enough opportunities or is he not developing because he's not making the most of the opportunities he's given um and you know we talked ourselves in circles a little bit but i think we came to the conclusion uh consensus wise that he needs to do more with the opportunities he's given especially if in this coming season that opportunity uh amount does not increase substantially compared to last season. If you're talking about touches, plays drawn up for Pat, plays where Pat is designed to get the ball, uh, be the, you know, the recipient of a, you know, uh, cutting off ball, uh, you know, as Mark was saying, move without the ball kind of stuff. But to, to the bigger question that you started this with of like, what do they need to do to actually not only develop for their own individual sake, but for the team's sake and the team's winning sake, to me, and this is me being my cynical asshole self, the answer slaps you in the face if you're talking about both Pat and Kobe specifically. Because what did we bang our heads against the wall 
every other night last season saying during postgame, the Bulls keep losing a very simple math problem because nobody's shooting threes. Nobody can hit threes. And I'm not saying, and I agree with Mark, there are lots of little things that Pat can do, that Kobe can do to improve upon themselves and thus improve the Bulls as an overall team to hopefully lead to more wins. But with Kobe, it's as simple as go from being a streaky three-point shooter to being a reliable, consistent, steady one. Because when Kobe's hot, Bulls fans know Kobe is hotter than most. But then he'll have stretches of, you know, seven, eight, nine games where, where he's like two of 28 from downtown. Stop that. Get that out of your game. Become a reliable, consistent three-point shooter, not a streaky one. And with Pat, Mark mentioned this too, no more passing up open looks. The next time, the first time this season, in a game that counts where Pat passes up an open three, Billy better yank him and sit his ass on the bench to teach him a lesson. You want to play? Then shoot when you're open, goddammit. Shoot when you're open. I'm sorry, but this is a simple math problem, and it plagued the Bulls all of last season. If the Bulls are the last team in three-point volume again this season, I'm going to jump off the freaking Hancock, okay? I cannot, I can't take it. You're talking about realistic improvements from these young guys that the Bulls kept around that they drafted, they're trying to develop. Make more threes. Jesus. Make sure, Matt, if you are going to throw your hat right now to take off your headphones first. I don't want those to go flying as well. Um, I've but that that's only once. Yeah. <laughs> and only once. That's so that's uh it's it, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that both Mark Eversley and AK talked about after the draft when we first had availability. Uh AK, or maybe this was actually in the exit interview, but he said, you know, we're we're basically starting every game in an eight-point deficit just based on the amount of threes we're shooting. And you know, they brought in a new shooting specialist who's gonna head up their player personnel development uh program and i think that could be really useful but at the end of the day like i don't expect like patrick had a 50 percent leap in uh three-point field goal attempts last year per game um i don't expect that to go from 1.7 last year to 3.4 this past year to like 6.8 next year i just i don't really see that kind of but why but why not close to that there's no reason it can't be close to that yeah, it well, it should, it, it should be, be. I think, yeah, like four and a half, five would be ideal, but kind of my point is like with the other signings, like, is he even going to have that kind of opportunity to get the minutes enough to get those shots up? And so that leads me to my next question, which is like reconfiguring the shot profile of, of what AK was talking about and what we banged on about every single game uh, and every single day in between games, which was this math problem that you're talking about. So I'm curious Mark, and you mentioned this before, but we didn't really dive into it. So mm-hmm. obviously they bring in guys who can shoot the ball, who do so at a high level, who I think would have been like third and fourth in three-point makes on this team last year. Um, how much do they actually move the needle for the Bulls in terms of three-point attempt volume? Yeah, I'm I'm skeptical that the Bulls have dramatically changed their shooting profile. Um, I've quoted the numbers previously, and I'm don't have them in front of me at the moment. So I'm, I'm sort of doing it off the top of my head, but it's very, very basic math. It doesn't line up completely. Um, but in terms of three point attempt rate, or no, sorry, it was three points, three, yeah, three point attempt, three points attempted per 100 possessions. The comparison between Javon Carter and Patrick Williams, uh, sorry, Patrick Beverly at the time, it was only like two threes per 100 possessions in terms of the number of attempts they had. The same was true between Torrey Craig and Derek Jones Jr. So, I mean, we don't think of Derek Jones Jr. as, as a three-point shooter, but I think he was taking like four and a half threes per 100 possessions. Torrey Craig, 6.8, something like that off the top of my head. It was roughly a, a two a two attempt delta for both guys. So, it's not huge. And obviously, those players are not playing 100 possessions a game. So, even though that delta of two represents or, or is a delta of two over 100 possessions, like I said, these guys are maybe playing 50 possessions in a game. So, it's really adding one additional three per guy. Now, does that materially move things? And to your point, Will, like, does Pat even play like 28 minutes per game this season? Pat was fourth on the team in, in minutes per game this season, played 28 minutes. If that were to go down because Billy trusts, Javon and and Kobe and Caruso and Tory Craig to be that fourth and fifth guy more so than than Patrick Williams. Then maybe Patrick Williams is playing closer to 24, 22 minutes a game. And does his three-point attempt rate go down or the, 
you know, does he not shoot as many threes? So any any gains you're making because Javon Carter and um, and Tory Craig on the roster, like, is that offset because maybe Kobe's getting less minutes? One of your more prolific three point shooters, maybe Pat's getting less minutes because of that, and not that Pat was an overly prof- uh, prolific three point shooter, but you know he was one of your more accurate shooters when he did shoot. So the point being that we look at this by proxy by saying, oh, the Bulls have added two good shooters who don't get up a ton of volume, but when they do, they knock them down. I'm still skeptical if Torrey Craig really is a 38, 39% three-point shooter like he was last season. That's to me, seems like a risk. That seems like a bit career of high, I believe. Yeah, whereas maybe you could convince me that Javon Carter is actually a 40% guy. Um, but the point being that I don't think we should just think that, oh, the Bulls have added two decent volume shooters, two guys that can knock them down when they're open and that that has solved the three-point shooting issue because I don't think it necessarily has because for them to get minutes, others can't play. Now, how does that offset things? So I guess what I'm saying is I think they've marginally improved the three-point um, issue, the three-point att- attempt rate issue, but have they improved at the same rate that the rest of the league has improved? Like that's the question I have. They may have improved, but relative to the rest of the league, have they improved enough for, to the point where they're they're jumping from 30th in a three-point attempt rate to 20th, as an example, or have they only improved to a rate whereby okay, maybe you're not 30th anymore, but maybe you're 26th, and th- obviously that would be an improvement. I would rather them be 26th than 30th. But is that meaningful? Is that changing the scope of this Bulls offense? Not really. And just, you know, in terms of numbers and those sorts of things, I think some Bulls fans would be surprised to know that the Bulls were 12th in true shooting percentage last season. They're also 12th in E field goal percentage last season. So what the Bulls did on offense, they were very good at what they do. The issue is what they do is not efficient because it's a lot of twos. They don't get up a lot of threes as we consistently mentioned all last season. They don't get to the free throw line. The 20th in free throw attempt rate, sorry, percentage of points from the free throw line. Uh, they're, they're there or thereabouts in the middle in terms of points in fast breaks. So their offense isn't overall efficient because of those things, but the things that they do well, they are efficient in. But I just don't know if they've materially changed their shooting profile. And I think like having the true shooting percentage uh, and effective field goal percentage be that impressive of a ranking in spite of their God awful three point shooting. Uh, to me, I look directly towards at something that we were talking about on a show. I think last week, will um, that DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine were two of the highest volume and most efficient yep. long mid range shooters in the entire NBA last season. It's like, is that mm-hmm. something that you really want to rely on again? Because I know, like, we were like, can we rely on this again for from Demar last season after two seasons ago? And like, yeah, his efficiency dropped a little bit, but it was still pretty damn good. And then Zach Levine was right along there with him. Um, as to the shot profile question, I'm, to me, it's as simple as the the displacement theory. Whose minutes are Tory Craig and Javon Carter effectively going to be taking from last season's rotation? I think Craig is a little harder to answer because of the 18 different people that Billy will play at power forward at times. And yes, that does include Caruso Mark, and he's maybe still their best option there. I don't, I'm not sure I disagree with you to me. This, the simplest answer, if you are looking for optimism is, is Javon Carter capable of being a more reliable and more frequent knockdown three point shooter than the guys who split the duties of starting quote unquote point guard last season being Io DeSumo and Patrick Beverly, because I think that answer is yes. I, I feel better about Javon Carter being a more reliable three point shooter than Io DeSumo and, or Patrick Beverly. Does Tory Craig and him taking minutes from whatever amalgamation of those players who played at that position last season mean the same. I'm not as confident to say that, but I mean, before he got hurt, Javante would, was out there playing and chucking threes and not hitting lots of them. Derek Jones Jr. would occasionally get out there and chuck threes and not hit lots of them. So you like you could make an argument for, yes, the shot p- profile can change with those two guys. Maybe the bigger and more important question is how drastic is that shot profile going to change? But in the backcourt, at least, I see more three-pointers. Yeah, um, I think that's really, I think, t- to me, the question is not just like who's replacing and how many threes they got up, but it's more just like a, a question of the Bulls offensive system. Um, and 
as AK says with the super chat here, shout out to you, AK. Player development and win now are competing goals. Bulls organization is set on win now, so we have to keep the expectations grounded. However, P. Will needs to rebound more. Both Io and P. Will need not pass up open threes. That's exactly what we're saying at the beginning of this segment. Just like the the player development that they really have an opportunity to be a part of is taking advantage of their open shots when they have them, of not stepping on the sideline and you know driving into traffic, but taking open shots and being a part of an offense that moves quickly, makes quick decisions, and you know can take advantage of a, a tilted defense. Yeah, and I, I and I, I think I say it all the time is like everything on the basketball court is connected. Everything, everything you do has an impact on the next move, the, the next counter, whatever it might be. And if we want to take talk about you know the changes to the shooting profile and what Javon Carter or Tory Craig mean to that, I, I think if you want to meaningfully change your shooting profile, like this is the point. Like what AK is mentioning here and what Matt talks about before about don't turn down your threes. To me, that's more impactful on the shooting profile of the team than bringing in Javon Carter, who let's just say plays 25 minutes a game, similar to what he played last season with the Bucks. Javon Carter took what four-ish threes per game last season. Patrick Beverly in his 28 minutes was taking four-ish threes per game. So that's what I'm talking about where if you're just replacing those minutes that maybe you get up one, maybe two more threes at most, that's not really meaningful to me. But what is meaningful is, Instead of Pat turning down one or two threes again, instead of Io turning down threes, whomever it may be, there was even times when Kobe goes through those streaks that Matt was talking about before where he turns down shots. Zach Levine could be taking way more threes. But the point is, when you take, sorry, when you don't take those threes, when you turn down those threes, what ultimately happens is, and coming back to the point around everything being connected, when you turn down that shot, the ball has to continue swinging at that point. You've, you've taken away any advantage creation that you've, created you've taken away the ability to take an open three or or a decent looking three and you need to get back into your stuff you need to burn more of the clock and what ends up happening in those situations is the ball ultimately swings back to demar DeRozan and zach levine to finish the possession and we talked about it before why are these guys taking so much so many high volume mid-range jumpers part of that is just their instinctive nature and that will always be a feature within their game but part of that is the fact that these other role guys that they're surrounding the balls with or surrounding those two players with are turning down shots or don't have the confidence to make or take shots. So the ball ultimately swings back to these guys to take their shot and they just take those mid-range too. So part of the reason the Bulls were a high mid-range team was because Zach and DeMar like to do that thing and they're very good at it. So you, you as a coach, you as Billy Donovan, you should lean on that because your players are really freaking good at that. But part of that is also because guys turn down shots and when they turn down shots, maybe it takes you an extra four or five seconds to create another look. And at that point, maybe there's only a few seconds left on the clock and Damar and Zach are going to throw it up there. So it's contingent on these role guys to not do that. And that, I think, has more scope to materially change the shot profile than Javon Carter and Tory Craig being here. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think, you know, the the Bulls have to do... You know, only so much of it can be Javon Carter taking one more three than Patrick Beverly would have. I think a lot of it has to do more with reconfiguring the way that they play offense. And we'll get into more of that after we take a quick break here. Mark, can you tell our friends about the Shady Rays Dingo? Well, I'll tell you about the Dingo. Where is that Dingo, Law? There he is. Have we got Axel Rose Dingo today or just the, the regular old Shady Rays Dingo? Nonetheless, we get the Shady Rays Dingo. He's sporting that beautiful looking polarized pair. Of uh, or a premium polarized pair of Shady Rays. And if you want to look as good as that fellow there, and if you want to do that at an affordable price, then you can do so by uh, supporting our friends at Shady Rays, who are the best independent sunglasses company. Just going around more generally, like I always say this, but why the hell would you bother wearing shitty designer brands, pair of sunglasses that one, just don't look that great if I'm being honest. They certainly don't look any better than the Shady Rays glasses. They cost you a million dollars just to put on your head. And why would you invest such such exorbitant amounts of money in a pair of sunglasses when you could easily sit on them or lose them or break them or whatever it might be? You've got a company like Shady Ray sitting over here giving you absolutely beautiful premium polarized sunnies, doing it at an affordable price. And better yet, they're giving you the lost and broken uh, replacement policy whereby if you lose or break your sunnies, they will, they will hook you up with a pair. No questions asked. Are any of those designer brands doing that? No, they're not. They're taking your millions of dollars. They're taking your money and they're not giving you anything back for it. Whereas 
Shady Rays, they're giving you quality sunnies like Maddie's wearing right now. Not only are you going to look good, you're going to feel good, you're going to feel confident, you're going to feel even more confident knowing that the lost and broken replacement policy is there in their background just waiting for you if you ever need it. So friends, just just listen to me. Listen to me. But if you don't, if you don't want to, over 250,000 people on the internet, on the internet, have given Shady Rays five-star reviews. Now, if you don't trust me, if you don't trust Matthew or WG or LB or the Shady Rays Dingo, trust those 250,000 people who just are good upstanding citizens who you definitely should be trusting with those five-star reviews. So if you want to head over to ShadyRays.com, use promo code CHTO, you will receive 50% off two pairs of polarized sunnies, friends. So try them out for yourself. Five stars. 250,000 people. Shady Rays Dingoes. Try it out. Try it out. Try it out. Throw on your Shady Rays and then walk or drive down to check out Circle K. We are so excited to partner with our friends at Circle K. You can check out your local Circle K for the best coffee for me and Matt, beer for Matt, beer for me, and beer for Mark and Big Dave too. They've also got great snacks and premium guests. So look out for freebies and giveaways down the road. Matt, last week when we were doing this read, I promised everybody that on your way up to do a little camping, I told them guaranteed that you would have stopped at a Circle K to pick up some snacks. Do you want to report back about which snacks you picked up at Circle K? Oh, I would love to, Goat. Um, yes, I did stop at a Circle K. I got the, not the full like juggernaut size tall boy, but like the taller than the 12 ounce can, the tall skinny sugar-free Red Bull. You know, get a little energy kick for the drive out there. Keep it healthy. Um, keep it healthy. Just sugar-free Red Bulls, all you need. You don't need the basically full, the full same sugar as Red Bull. <laughs> I mean, it's basically the same. Sometimes I'll drink them simultaneously out of separate receptacles. But yeah, uh, and it's it's a guilty pleasure. I only get them when I'm on road trips. Um, but actually, shout out to our guy Vinny from CHGO White Sox. He like made me rediscover them as an unhealthy but delicious snack combos i got oh, some yeah. pepperoni pizza flavored combos and i went to town on those bad boys thanks to our friends at circle k thank you to our friends at circle k for sponsoring chgo make sure you guys visit the nearest circle k to pick up all your favorite finds and you can do so wearing the coolest merch from the chgo merch locker or by checking out our friends at foco make sure you get fitted out in the best sports gear around They've got hoodies, shoes, signs, bobbleheads, and as Dave likes to say, everything in betwixt. It's baseball season. They've got Aloha shirts, straw hats, polos, bags, and everything you need for a game. Obviously, the Bears are kicking off. Justin Fields not playing this weekend, unfortunately, but you still got to get decked out in some good Bears gear. So check out FOCO. They've even donated a bunch of stuff for our set. So go show them some love. Check out foco.com or click the link in the description below for all non-presale items. Use promo code CHGO for 10% off. All right, last little bit here. And I want to talk about like these incremental, you know, does Javon Carter taking one more three per 36 minutes really change the fortunes of the Bulls than if, you know, Patrick Beverly or Io is out there? Because to me, like it's really it's about the top, right? It's about where is this offense coming from on a fundamental level? So I've got some numbers for you, as you know, I love to do. The Bulls, obviously, first in long twos this past season, second to last in three-point attempt rate. So they're taking the most long twos and the second to last in three-point attempt rate. And obviously, like a lot of that is driven by DeMar. A lot of that is driven by the fact that he is so good at it. And I think you know, he's, he's allowed to do that because he's so good at it. You have to have the right spacing around him. And I think that's where guys like Javon Carter and Torrey Craig and Kobe taking a step forward and Patrick and everything that we've been talking about, that matters a lot. However, the bulls were uh, 28th in the league in paint touches per game. So the amount of times that they got into the paint was the third fewest in the entire league. They had the fifth fewest drives per game and. And on the other side of that, they posted up the third most. So for all the people that are saying Vooch doesn't get the ball in the post enough, well, the Bulls were the third most uh, highest post-up team in the NBA. And so to somebody me, all this... Somebody tell our friend Stacy. <laughs> somebody tell our friend Stacy. So to me, like, again, you can cater to your best player's skill sets, and I think that's fine. But like 
a lot of generating good three-point looks is getting into the paint and kicking it out. A lot of, you know, taking away post-ups or long twos is like taking advantage of the kick out threes that you get and not stepping on the sideline or driving into traffic, having to step back out and then give it to DeMar to take a long two. So I do think like there's ways in which these role guys help, but at a fundamental level, I think the bulls need to adjust their offense. And to me, that's going to be the real key in was this offseason successful because it's hard to teach a new, an old dog, new tricks. We know this and guys like DeMar who are supremely skilled at one thing. Um, but that thing not being super useful for the most part in today's NBA, as far as generating efficient offense goes, um, to me, there's still a lot of question marks and that really starts with like, can they change the offense at all? They've, they've gotten, I think the right auxiliary pieces now, but can they do anything that actually changes the way that they're looking for offense in the half court on any given possession, you know, during any of these games? I, and I really don't know the answer to that. Do you guys feel any more confidently than I do? I do know the answer to that. Well, I'm going to claim to know the answer to that. And well, occasionally you will bring up some good points on this podcast. Occasionally. That happened to be one of your best, if not your best. Thanks, mate. The way you improve your three-point attempt rate is by getting into the lane and by creating creating opportunities, whether at the rim or spraying that ball back out to the three-point line, guys taking advantage from that point of view. But part of the reason why the balls have a small three-point attempt rate or the fact that they just don't get into the paint, as you noted, because they just don't have a lot of guys on this team who can create advantages. Or if they're not creating advantages, taking advantage of the advantage that has been created for them. We spoke about that already in terms of turning down three-pointers. When the ball gets... If, if DeMar draws two and he swings the ball out to Patrick Williams in the corner and that guy turns turns away the three or Io turns away the three or they step on the sideline because rather than shooting the three, they up fake and try to drive, that is problematic that's why your three-point attempt rate is what it is is why you can't get into the lane but part of the reason or the bigger issue for me is not what demar is doing or what zach is doing but do you have the guys around them that can, can you know take advantage of the advantage that vooch and demar and zach t- create for these guys I, I, I do think this is a role guy problem and i don't want to blame the role guys for that coming back to how we started the show, like that's on AK and Mark Eversley to put the right type of role guys around, uh, you know, Demar and Vooch and Zach. Like if, if, if you think about Spurs teams of the years past, and I'm not suggesting in, in, at, at all that the Bulls have the, the level of talent or the level of team that the, you know, 2014 Spurs were. But what made that team so special was every single guy on that team, whether it was a star or role guy, they understood the uh, the importance of being a triple threat. If you're not going to shoot it, cool, put it on the deck. If you're not going to put it on the deck, then keep moving that thing. The Bulls just don't have that level of player whereby they're, they're capable of tri- being a triple threat, that they, they want to be a triple threat, or maybe they just, just, just don't have that ability. Maybe they don't have that IQ. That's another thing. Maybe these some of these young guys just aren't in that spot in their development where they can think the game at that level. You need vets more around them. So if that's, if that's the case, if you don't have the skill or you don't necessarily have the IQ, it's not necessarily the player's fault um, in, in this instance, at least. That comes back to roster management and how you've created the roster around the around the star players. So to me, it's less about Demar, it's less about Zach, it's less about Billy changing the offense because I don't think you can change someone's, you know, who, who someone is overnight at least. So to me, that's why I think I feel confident about the answer because I feel confident about who I know these players are, their, their general tendencies. And until those general tendencies change, I think you're asking a little bit too much for the general offense to change. Like until Patrick Williams shows me that he can stop turning down threes or take advantage of situations whereby, you know, Zach is drawn to Pat and gets it. The, the ball swings out to Pat. He takes a three or he puts a ball on the deck. And what's the, what's the Pat, the patented Pat Williams move? It's the up fake, a couple of power dribbles to the left and then, you know, walk into a mid range shot. That's not necessarily creating or taking advantage, but instead of doing that, if you are going to drive, if you're going to do that dribble thing where you take a few dribbles to your left, 
rather than it being two or three dribbles, can it be five or six dribbles? And rather it being a mid-range jumper, can you now get to the rim? Maybe you're finishing at that rim or maybe you're spraying the ball out to a shooter in the opposite corner and the ball continues to rotate. Like these are the things that matter. So to me, it's on the roll, guys. And and I and I know that's asking a lot and maybe coming back to what we're talking about a bit before as well, like where Javon Carter and Toy Craig really matter. I think just being higher IQ players, it's not necessarily their three-point attempt, right? It's probably just doing the things that these younger role guys aren't doing. I know that's a long rant for me, so I'll stop talking, but I think that's what matters more so than Billy or Damar or anything else. Yeah. Um, I think I'm mostly with you, Mark. Um, <laughs> I, so if you're talking about the big three and is the problem, the big three, or is it the role guys around them? But if Vooch has a good advantage inside, has a, gets a look inside, he'll take it. If Vooch has a good look outside, he'll take it. We have seen that. There's evidence of that for two two seasons and change now. When uh, and then also when Vooch sees an opportunity to advantage uh, to take advantage of a quickly arriving double when he gets the ball in the low post or the high post, we all know that he's one of the most underappreciated big men passers in the NBA. Swinging the ball from the strong side to the weak side of the floor is that offensive fulcrum. He can take advantage of those opportunities that you're, you're talking about. DeMar DeRozan, I think, does a really good job most often passing out of double teams to create opportunities to take advantage of when DeMar is doubled if he can't get the look he wants to score himself. Zach, I think, is the one hang-up where maybe Bulls fans are mostly fair in critiquing if you're talking about basketball IQ as a part of this team offensive chemistry. I, I actually thought I saw marked improvement from Zach as a passer in in transition areas, but then also in like half court sets where his vision got better and he slung a pass to the other side of the court that I did not used to see him make the passes and the situations where I still see Zach getting in trouble when you're talking about creating advantages for their teammates and creating good looks for their teammates is when Zach is using his burst to get to the rim and his focus is score or draw a foul. If Neither of those things happen. He doesn't have, he hasn't shown us to have the mental quickness to then instead have a solid kickout pass on a drive that's going nowhere, a drive that's getting caved in on. So that would be the one nitpick I have as far as the big three and how they can create more, you know, offensive opportunities for the role player teammates around them next season compared to last. Yeah. And just to kind of tie a bow on this, like I agree with what you said at the top, Mark, this is the off season they should have had last year. I think last year was quite frankly, a completely wasted season uh, because they just didn't do the things that they needed to do in order to actually make this a competitive team. Um, I thought that this project should have been over with a year ago. I think, you know, looking back at it last trade deadline, to not make any moves was unacceptable to not do anything again this summer, other than like a few fringe rotation guys, I think is pretty absurd. Um, but they're going to run it back. And I think this is really their last chance. And I, I do think it's on everyone. I think it's on, you know, the big three in particular, uh, Zach and Vooch, because I do think they have more in their game to be able to, uh, change their shot profiles a little bit. Uh, but it's on, the role players to take advantage of those situations and to get more threes up and to keep the ball moving and to really play like 0.5 basketball where you're not just like hanging on to the thing. Um, as hard as it is for Billy to manage a team that just does not have the right skill set, I think he's got to be more creative in finding ways to just try to juice a little bit more out of this offense. As Mark uh, Squeam is very squeamish as I say this, I, it's on everybody top to bottom. And yeah, I mean, that's for me, that's really. Uh, what it comes down to. Um, everybody's got to do things. And um, another super chat here from AK, the offseason moves. Do we think Carter can play starter for a whole season, sustain the same output, hesitation for diminishing marginal utility with extended minutes over a whole season? Um, we've kind of talked about this a bit. I'm, I'm a fan of Javon Carter and I'm, I'm a fan of Javon Carter starting. Um, I could go either way, whether it's Patrick or it's Patrick or Greg. I don't think her just because they're going to be careful with his minutes. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think, I think I'm a fan of is... the phrase diminishing marginal utility. Way to go, AK. <laughs> that's a great three-word combo right there. <laughs> that, that, that's how you say a lot by without saying anything. 
That, that's like <laughs> middle management speak. That's what I think that is. AK is a middle manager. That's what I'm. That's what I'm getting. The at. synergy but, levels are high right now, guys. Yeah, synergies. That's that's a that's a keyword. But AK, to answer your question, and thank you as always for your support and your super chat. But uh, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see three guys averaging 30, 33 to 36 minutes, and then you're probably going to have five to six guys averaging between 22 and 26 minutes. And Javon's going to be one of those guys. Kobe's going to be one of those guys. Craig. Caruso, Pat Williams, they're all going to be those guys too. So does that qualify as starting minutes? I, I don't think it does necessarily in the traditional sense, but I kind of think that's how the Bulls are going to play that fourth and fifth spot on the team. Like that's they're just going to be consistently rotating that through. And because of that, there won't be someone getting quote unquote starter minutes unless as what Trey did up the top before in his super chat, unless, unless Kobe or Pat make a leap and where they force Billy to play them 28, 30 minutes, then maybe in that situation things changes and Javon doesn't need to play starter minutes, but um, that's the only way it happens. But we're going long here. Lawrence is falling asleep on the decks. We kind of need to wrap this thing up, I think. I was just going to say the same. Um, there are a lot of questions about who's going to start, who's going to play, who's going to play how much. And yeah, we don't have the answers just yet, but we'll be there to watch all 82 and and soon find out. But uh Thank you guys all for for joining us and watching today. We got uh, like 45 people watching, 24 likes. Hit the like on your way out. But in the meantime, Mark at MK Hoops on Twitter, Matt Peck at Bulls underscore Peck on Twitter. Matt, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad that we will see you tomorrow. Lawrence, thank you Hell for yeah. sticking around with us late on a Friday evening now. We appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at CHGO underscore Bulls. I am Will Gottlieb. You can follow me on Twitter at Will underscore Gottlieb, and we are out. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.